I personally enjoyed during uh, worship time today, my four-year-old Silas began to uh, lick my wife's face because, I don't know, greet your brother and sister with a holy kiss, I guess, is in the Bible. So I don't know if that's what he was going for. Um, No, but this has nothing to do with the message, but I I will say this. Um, I absolutely love that we uh, do things like this because I really do think there is a deep importance. And I I wanna say to parents who are like, oh, it's hard sometimes, I wanna say thank you for um, pushing through that because it is so important for our kids to see the example of not only their parents but other adults um, who are worshiping and praising God. Um, They are formed by so many other outside um, sources in culture. They're seeing examples of others And uh, sometimes, let's just be honest, they're also sometimes seeing the negative examples that we have uh, sometimes as a parent. And uh, thank you so much for bringing your kids and uh, for modeling it uh, by being in here in worship with them. So um, I think it's so, so important and so, so good. Uh, This morning, we are talking about marriage, or as they would say in The Princess Bride, mowage. And... uh, Today uh, is going to be a short message because I'm going to give you everything I know about marriage. (laughs) So the man may not want to go far away. No, we are going to talk about marriage, and no, I am no expert, and no, uh, nor do I feel like I have all these tips and tricks that uh, five healthy ways to have a great marriage. Um, no, we are going to be continuing in our series called Made Alive, the journey from death to life, where we are exploring um, some of the major themes in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We all oftentimes refer to this as Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul has quite a bit to say uh, about marriage. And, and at the forefront of this, I want to say um, that it'd be easy for some of us who either uh, aren't married, or maybe we, we, are, we feel like we have a, a, a difficult marriage, or it'd be really easy for us to tune out. And I hope and pray that we realize that this message is for everybody, because everybody interacts with people who are married. Everyone has the possibility that maybe they could be married someday. And the more important thing is, is when we look at marriage, and we look at what Scripture has to say about marriage, it is this perfect reflection of God's design for how us as the church are to interact with Jesus, who is sort of the husband. Now, I'm going to say this to the guys at the forefront. It is weird sometimes thinking about yourself as being the bride of Christ. Put that kind of weirdness aside uh, for today so we can kind of think about this. But marriage is a beautiful thing. I have been fortunate uh, enough uh, to be married to, hands down, the most beautiful, smart, gracious awesome person in the world. So sorry for everyone else for your loss. Go me. Uh, it truly is sort of a, uh, one of those stories, um, a heartwarming, you know, from, from the awkward late bloomer uh, who, who almost got held back, you know, who made it to the dean's list that wasn't really the dean's list that you get uh, your parents proud of you for, but the dean's list where you almost get kicked out of school. For the guy who had no game, um, on October 18th, 2014, I stood up before God and my friends and my family uh, to marry the beautiful Hunter Brocky. And uh, on that day, it was, as I reflect back, one of the best and most beautiful days of my life and also probably the most weighty day of my life. Now, I say that in saying that I truly am grateful that I have married 
an incredible woman who loves Jesus, who is gracious and kind to me, but I'll tell you probably the biggest secret I've learned about marriage uh, in the time we've been married. Marriage is hard. Marriage takes work, takes intentionality. And one of the reasons why I think sometimes marriage can be a really, really difficult thing is because we focus so much of our time, our energy, our resources on this moment, on a wedding. And I meet a lot of people who are so willing to spend lots of time and money and energy and stress on making one moment perfect, and yet oftentimes give only about 10% of that in actually sustaining a marriage afterwards. And so much of it has to do with this fact that we are selfish people. I have said this before many times, but it's true. Before I got married, I thought I was a pretty selfless person. And then I learned when I had to uh, run things by people, when I had to uh, not just do what I wanted, when I wanted, all of those sort of things, I realized maybe I'm not. And again, when I had kids, that's on steroids, right? But marriage, right, is, is a difficult thing, something that we have to work at, something that we have to protect. But I think oftentimes we are ill-advised in thinking that we know the greatest threats to marriage. And there's a lot of factors or things why marriages fail, why they end, why they don't go well. But I'm going to say this. I, I believe uh, that probably the biggest threat to any marriage is self-centeredness. I think probably the greatest threat to any marriage is self-centeredness. And the reason why is just this. When you bring two things together to become one, we have grown up inundated in a world that makes individuality and autonomy one of the highest causes. Most of us grow up in, in a world, we hear advertisements, we, we hear from influencers and all sorts of people that you do you, do what makes you happy, figure out your truth. One of the most difficult things about marriage is the fact that marriage calls us to live sacrificially in an honoring manner. So this morning what I want to do is I want to talk a little about what is marriage and then I want to talk about, uh, we're going to look in Ephesians about um, how Paul kind of um, uh, parses out uh, some of the roles in marriage, things like that. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means for us as followers of Jesus to kind of go from this journey from death to life. Because the truth is, there is a way of the world for marriage that consistently, I've noticed, more often than not, leads to death. Doesn't bring life. And there is a reality that to live in the way of Jesus calls for us to lay down every bit of our life for the kingdom and to surrender to Jesus' will in his way, including our marriage relationships. Let's talk about this. Just, a, just a, a sort of a simple definition. Uh, uh, um, marriage is a covenantal relationship between one man and one woman. This is consistent throughout all of Scripture. 
Covenantial is just this kind of fancy word that has to do with the idea that it's a promissory relationship. It's the fact that when, when I said my vows to Hunter and she said her vows to me, we were making promises to one another and that our relationship would continue together based off our keeping up our end of the bargain. And so I want to say this up front. There is a reality that, yes, there are great reasons, biblical reasons, for why sometimes when a covenantal relationship, when, when one party or both parties are not holding up their end of the bargain, why there is a time sometimes where that relationship no longer continues forward. And I want to be really sensitive to the fact that I know that there are many in here who that has been part of your story. And there have been things like abuse or infidelity. There's been unfaithfulness. There's been all sorts of stuff. I'm not here to, to, to make judgments or know those sort of things. But I will go on this hunch to say that more often than not, I think there has become sort of this um, thoughts on marriage where we don't hold it as sacredly as we should. Where we don't maybe think about the fact that scripture begins by saying that, that, that the two would become one. And, and, and when we think about it from that context, we, we realize that no matter what, even if there's legitimate reasons, that when there is a tear in the fabric of oneness, there's going to be consequences, there's going to be chaos, and there's going to be things um, that aren't going to go well. And I want to be really sensitive to the fact that there are some really legitimate reasons that that happens sometimes. But I also want to say that in our culture today, one of the most countercultural things for us to do is to begin to crucify our self-centeredness. I've counseled with a lot of people who are really good at finding reasons to get out of a covenantal relationship, and a lot of them are fairly self-centered. And a lot of them are due to not being intentional about the work that is involved as a follower of Jesus, to be married and stay married. And I say all of that with tons of grace, tons of understanding, but also from, from, from a place where I see our world, one of the greatest things that followers of Jesus could do in our world today is to have good and healthy marriages. Because one of the most difficult things we have to reconcile with, right, is that things like divorce rates are just as high for Christians as non-Christians. Which again, we are called to be a holy people, not holier than thou, but to be set apart, to be different. And one of the hardest parts is sometimes we are doing the pitches, right, where, where we're like that person, we've all seen them on Facebook, right, where they're, they're, doing, they're trying to sell you something, maybe something health-related. I'm not trying to be mean, but every once in a while you see a person where you're like, if this is what you're doing, I don't know if I'm buying that. And I wonder sometimes if there are some of the world who is looking at us and we're trying to say, guys, this is what marriage is. This is how it should be. And they're looking at us and they're saying, have you looked in the mirror lately? Because this isn't working. And so this morning, I want to talk about what does, uh, what, what do we do for this? Because I think Christ-centered marriage calls us for us to die to the old ways of uh, our lives and, and begin to live together and thrive together in new life. It means that if we really want to continue in a life in which Jesus has saved us from death and he's raised us up for something new, we need to do that within our marriages as well. 
Uh, this morning, what I want to do is I want to read um, the section that uh, we are going to be looking at together in its entirety, and then we're going to break it down, because I think it's important to see in its full context. So if you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, feel free to follow along on the screen behind me. I'll be reading from the uh, NIV translation. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now this morning, I, I, we're going to break down a little bit of each of these sections because I, I fear that sometimes people get it twisted um, and use scripture in manners that it doesn't exactly mean. Now the baseline for all Christian relationships is uh, Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this word submit, right, no one likes that word, Right? When you hear basically that you need to do something, um, I don't know about you, I wish that would go away, but there is something, uh, I don't know if it's like the, the American blood inside of us, but like we hate being told what to do, don't we? Anyone else hate being kind of told what to do? Okay, there's liars in the room, it's fine. You're like, well, I'm not going to raise my hand because you told me to, okay? See? I tricked you guys. No, but we don't like this, right? Because there is a feeling that whenever we are deferring to someone else, it feels like we are losing ourselves. And most of us hate to lose. And so this basis for all Christian relationships, just sort of period, before we even talk about marriage, is this, that we should submit to one another out of Christ. This baseline, again, for all of these, including marriage, demands that we have honor and respect for one another. It just does. And which honestly is a pretty low baseline that somehow we continue not to meet. I hate that I continually see sometimes people who call on the name of Jesus, who, who, who kind of like wear their badge like they're one of them, who struggle with this idea of honoring and respecting others. Last week, you know, we talked about the, the inability sometimes to just have civil conversations, to hear out other people's opinions, to just show them respect and love, not always even because they've earned it or deserve it. Because again, 
At the beginning of chapter 5, we, we've talked about it quite a few times in uh, the, the, the past weeks, Paul tells us as followers of Jesus that we should imitate the example of Christ Jesus and that we should walk in the way of love. And the way of love is the way of sacrifice and honor. Because serving others is something that we do first to honor Christ, not always just to honor others. So if we start off with this, how do we read then, starting in verse 22? Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, if we are to play um, cherry-picking scripture reading, uh, we can get in trouble with this verse. If you don't know what cherry-picking is, it was always what, what we called in basketball, right, where someone would just wait on the opposite side of, of uh, the basketball court, and they would play no defense, and they would just be there ready to get sort of an easy little thing. They could pick whatever they wanted uh, and get their points. And there's been times where people have read verses like this out of context, and they have used it in a manner that has led to destructive relationships. There are people who have read this, and it says, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Do this at all times. And there have been people who have used Scripture like this in a way that has not brought in glory to the, to the name of Christ, has created chaos and injustice and things like that. You see, we have to read verse 22 through 24 in light of verse 21. We begin with the baseline that if every Christian relationship, marriage and otherwise, begins with submitting out of reverence for Christ, this means that while this is a specific call that Paul gave to the wives at this time, and that it is still for us today, that the idea behind this is this, uh, that it is not this domineering, it's not this I tell you what to do, it's not whatever I say goes, but it goes from this place that if you are mutually submitting out of reverence for one another, that it shouldn't be that big of an ask. You see, submission to someone who is sacrificially loving you is not a burden to bear. Uh, it's a blessing to belong to. And, and in many ways, again, this is not a contract that says do whatever they say no matter what. Again, we talked about marriage is a covenantal relationship, which means that there are bargains that are there, right? If I choose to be unfaithful to my wife, while, while she does not have to end a relationship with me, I have not held my end of the bargain up. If I begin to live outside of my covenant, we see throughout Scripture when, when God had covenantal relationships with the people of Israel, right? There were times where he said, you do this, I do this. And there were times where they did not hold up their end of the bargain, right? Right? And while God in his goodness was really kind over and over to us, there is a reality that within a marriage, you are not called, I want to be very clear about that, you are not called to say in something that is unhealthy, where you are not safe, where there is toxicity. That doesn't mean that whenever something happens automatically that you don't like, that you feel um, your feelings hurt about, doesn't mean that you automatically be like, well, I'm out. But it does mean that, again, if we are living in the idea that you are looking at a healthy follower 
of Christ, who is a husband, and a healthy follower of Christ, who is a wife. That to be honest, it shouldn't be that hard. If you are mutually submitting to one another, this call twice for the wife to do this should not be that bad. When I read these two, I oftentimes have found how much sometimes guys like these verses because they're like, yeah, we're in charge. And yet, read, let's, let's continue reading because I, I think sometimes we don't really realize what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of the body. So here's the annoying thing. When I used to hear um, maybe not the most kind or fair interpretations of these verses, I, I would read them, I'm like, sweet, guys, we just kind of get to be the boss and say what's going on. And as I get older and I read this, I feel like we kind of get the short end of the stick, guys. Because there's a bit of a calling to more. There's this call that not only are you to mutually submit to your wife, not only are you supposed to be a team in this context, not only out of reverence for Christ, out of, out of, out of love are you supposed to do this, but you are also called to be like Christ who is willing to lay down everything for the church. Husbands, you are called not so much to have a greater authority, but a greater responsibility. Now, it's interesting, when, when, when Paul uh, speaks about this idea that the husbands are the head and the wife is the body, if we think about Paul's other teaching about these things, right, he talks about how there is one body, many parts, and that no part is greater than the other. But head also sometimes, uh, many scholars believe, has to do with the idea that the husband came first. In creation, uh, uh, the male was created first, the female was created afterwards, and sometimes the idea of a head is the idea of an example. And so here's the hard thing, guys, which means we also really need to step it up, is we aren't called to lead our family in a domineering sort of way where we say what we say goes all the time. We are called to lead our family through example. We are to imitate the way of Jesus. And we are not to do it because we are better we are called to do it because that's what Jesus said we should do. We are called to do it because the idea of being the head, of being the first, is to be the example. And this example is not only should we love and respect and honor our wives, but we should also be willing to lay down whatever we have to to love and serve them. Now, that does not mean, by the way, that ladies, you are not called to sacrifice as well doesn't mean that you're not called to, to, to love your husband. To be honest, <laughs> part of me wonders if it's, I think sometimes ladies are better at that. Because oftentimes when I see um, many ladies, uh, especially mothers, uh, there's almost this natural instinct to be sacrificial in your love. And to be honest, I, I know it goes all sorts of ways and, and, and gender stereotypes aren't always great, but there's a lot of guys who I find 
who have a hard time laying down their wants and their desires sometimes. And sometimes they use crappy excuses like Bible verses to say, well, you have to submit to whatever I want. Hey, submitting to what you want doesn't mean that you can abandon your family to do whatever you want. You are called to be an example of love and grace, of sacrifice, of presence. And here's the really great thing. If we follow the way of love as followers of Jesus, male and female, husband and wife, we begin to be a united team that nothing can really break. Paul goes on in chapter 5 to say this. He, he reiterates what we find in Genesis. He says this, For this reason, a man will leave his family, his father and his mother, and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. The wife must respect her husband. When Paul is speaking and writing about this idea, he again is reiterating this idea to the husbands, but honestly it's true for the wives as well, that if we are one body, one flesh, it is in some ways idiotic, stupid, counterproductive to fight with ourselves. You know, it's a sad reality, and I've been guilty of this as much as anyone else, that oftentimes we can treat the persons closest to us the worst. We can say the things that cut the deepest. We can hold the longest grudge. And yet again, if we really view marriage as what Scripture says it is, this covenantal relationship where we, we quite literally are one, I do not know why we are not more willing to fight with whatever we have to keep it healthy, to keep it strong, to stay intact. You see, I, I, I believe when, when you see your spouse as not just a partner, but as a part of you, you begin to see a greater importance of caring for them. And again, it goes back to this idea that if we would lay down our all of our wants, all of our needs, our selfishness. And doing this mutually together, I fully understand there are times where one person does this, the other doesn't. But when we do this together, that's the sweet spot. That's where things are great. As we kind of wrap things up this morning, again, this was not to be an exhaustive conversation about marriage. There's probably a series coming in the future. Of course, there are important things like pursuing your spouse, there's important things about seeking them out, um, being thoughtful and romantic. All of those sort of things are, are great. But again, uh, there are four kind of B principles that we learn from what Paul has to say um, in here that, that I think are important, that if we would follow these in our marriages, I think we would be fine. And, and there's, there are four Bs. The first B is be selfless. If you would not think so much of yourself and your wants and your needs all the time, Things are going to go better. Be honoring, or you could say be respectful. If you just were kind to the one another, if you just defaulted to one another, if you would hold them up in esteem. You know, it, it is wild to me how often um, I have been around people who talk about their husband or their wife with such disdain. 
I hated when, um, right before Hunter and I were getting married, how often I would get jokes from people, like, we're like, Haha, that's going to stink, you're stuck with that for life, or ball and chain, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, I get the jokes, but also, like, marriage is one of the most beautiful gifts that God has given us. And also, like, hey, have you ever thought that maybe part of being a good follower of Jesus is just being a kind person, especially to the person that you are most deeply connected to? To be gracious. We are called to graciously sacrifice and be kind to one another and be like Jesus. If we would just take the example of Jesus, who, yes, obviously wasn't married, but if we looked at the way that he treated others, he was always willing to speak truth and love. He was constantly putting aside his needs for the needs of others. He was willing to be present. He's willing to lay down everything. Our marriages would go really great. And here's the thing. For me, one of the beautiful things, I said this, why this is an important message for anyone, whether you're married or not, is that marriage models for us that to abide, which is this, this, this word that Jesus called us to, this idea of remaining in close relationship, that marriage models for us that to abide means to abandon the idol of autonomy and individuality for the freedom that we find in love that is sacrificial and focused on others. I do not at all say that you should get married so that way you can experience this. Paul said it would be better for you not to be married. Jesus the guy we follow was not married. Marriage is a beautiful gift, but marriage is work. Enter it carefully with intentionality and courage. But one of the beauties of it is it models for us Christ's relationship with the church. It refines us and teaches us the way of thinking more highly of someone else than ourselves. And it models for us this idea of how we are willing to sacrificially love and be gracious towards others. So husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And love one another with everything you have. The band's going to come out and they're going to play um, one last song. But I, I was thinking about it this morning as they were... Um, singing the last song before we came up about this idea of, of Christ is our firm foundation. Um, if you ever go to a wedding that I do, um, almost every time, unless I'm told I can't, uh, I, I tell one of my favorite stories that wasn't intended to be taught about marriage, but I think it's one of the more important ones. And it's this parable that Jesus tells uh, about these two different builders and how there was a wise builder and a foolish builder. And, and the wise builder... Um, they built their house upon a rock. And when storms and wind and rain came and it beat on the house, the house stood standing because it had a solid foundation. But there was another builder who built their house on sand. And when the rain and the storm and the wind beat against the house, it collapsed and fell apart because its foundation was weak and shaky. The way of the world which leads to death, especially in marriage, has a foundation that is built on things like feelings and convenience, finances and looks. 
And every single marriage is going to run into storms. And if we build our marriage upon how we feel, upon how someone looks, about how much money they have, on all of those sort of things, we are starting marriage with an inevitability of failure. But if we choose to build our marriages built upon Christ and his example, on Christ and his grace, on Christ and the power that we get through the Holy Spirit to love and respect one another, no matter the storm, we will stay strong. Would you guys stand with me as we're going to pray and we're going to close out with one last song. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and so kind. And Father, we are grateful for the fact that um, we have such an example of sacrificial love that is willing to lay down one's uh, own wants and desires, that is willing to um, submit and surrender, that is willing to uh, be sacrificial and loving. And Father, this morning for some of us, um, Father, we lay before you our marriages. We recognize that, that, that maybe the big issues we have isn't just that we're um, not going on a date night and isn't just because uh, the kids are all, all doing different things that we haven't just grown apart, that we've lost that, those feelings. But Father, maybe this morning, some of us just need to re-surrender to you, not just as individuals, but as a couple. To begin to uh, take that journey from death to life once more. Because Father, we believe that you can resurrect any marriage. And we believe that you desire for us to build not only our individual lives, but our marriages upon a firm foundation that nothing in this world can truly shake. So Father, as we sing this last song and we are reminded of just the deep love that you have for us, Father, would we trust you with the most important relationships in our lives? Father, would we be willing to walk together in kindness, to work together as couples, who believe that we aren't two, but we are one. Father, speak to us in this time of your great love and draw us close to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.